Hello everyone. Today I'm going to tell you a story about an old woman. A goddess, a witch, an ogre, a kindly ant, and a dangerous cannibal. All of these disparate elements form a truly singular folkloric figure, Baba Yaga. This is Breakfast with Gilgamesh. Throughout Russia, Georgia, and the Slavic countries, Baba Yaga has dominated popular myths and storytelling traditions with her haunting presence. Her stories are so old and numerous that her origins are frankly impossible to nail down. Most of the images and narratives in the fables in which she plays a key role have to do with womanhood. Yaga sometimes takes the role of a caregiver and teacher to a young woman, demanding that the girl perform the tasks expected of a young bride and housekeeper of medieval Eastern Europe. But even in these instances, she is portrayed as dangerous, capricious, and threatening. Those that serve Baba Yaga are rewarded. Those that do not meet horrific, bloody ends. There is a deep well of Baba Yaga stories to draw from. The most famous collection of Baba Yaga stories is probably Russian Fairy Tales, a collection of Eastern European folktales curated by Alexander Afanasyev with gorgeous illustrations by Ivan Bilibin. Bilibin's images are responsible for a great deal of what the modern world imagines when the name Baba Yaga is uttered. This late 19th century collection, modeled after the tales collected by the Brothers Grimm, is heavily annotated with footnotes and appendix. Afanasyev made sure to include where he heard each story and from whom, making it in many respects a much more important and complete document of folk literature than the Grimm tales. However, rather than simply recite the events of one or a number of Baba Yaga stories, today I'm going to tell you a story largely of my own construction, with elements of many of my favorite stories incorporated into it. In the tradition of the Skazka, Russian folktales told during feasts, weddings, and times of leisure. Baba Yaga is Eastern European, but the story I'm about to tell you is mine, and is my responsibility in the tradition of the oral storyteller. So I hope you'll forgive any embellishments, deviations, or outright flights of fancy that I indulge in as I tell it to you. I'd also like to include a very mild trigger warning. This story involves menstruation and pregnancy as central plot points, and while there is nothing explicit discussed in this episode of Breakfast with Gilgamesh, if you experience trauma surrounding these things, I want to warn you that they are discussed hereafter. So, let's begin with a story of Baba Yaga. Anika lay in her bed. Before she opened her eyes, she listened to the sparrow sing off in the distance, beyond the village in the woods that seemed to stretch on forever. She listened intently, scrunching her eyes tight and trying in vain to understand what the sparrow was calling out to in the gray morning. Time to get up! The harsh voice of Anika's stepmother chased the sparrow's song away. As Anika rose from the floor of her room, watching her stepmother disappear from the doorway, she felt 
strange. There was a tightness in her guts that was unfamiliar. She held her stomach and tried to burp it out to no avail. When she came out of her room, her father and mother-in-law were speaking in whispers, which ceased the moment they heard the creak of the floor from her steps. Annika's father put his soft, warm smile on and approached Annika, squeezing her shoulders with his rough carpenter's hands. "'Good morning, my angel,' said her father. "'Good morning, Papa,' said Annika. Annika's 13th birthday was just a week away, and though she had told her father she didn't want anything, that they were too poor to concern themselves with vanities, she secretly, in her most secret moments, imagined a shimmering blue dress with white trim and a ring of snowflake crochet around the waist. She imagined tiaras, earrings, and in her most sinful, hopeful moments, a little makeup to blush her lips and cheeks. As she walked past her father towards the breakfast table, she curtsied to her stepmother and held out her hands to receive her share of the work. Her mother-in-law stuck out the skin under her bottom lip and handed Annika a bowl of oats and a pestle. Do you smell that? said her stepmother. Smell what? said Annika's father. As Annika made to sit down and grind the oats for breakfast, her stepmother swiftly grabbed her by the arm and lifted her before she could. Look, said stepmother. Look at this. Stepmother spun Annika so her back faced her father, and there, on the seat of her worn cloth dress, was a dark stain. Annika's father touched his fingers to his lip to stop it from quivering. Your daughter, said stepmother, is a woman. To Annika's astonishment, she was given the rest of the day off from working. She wasn't asked to clean up the sap off the hatchets or dig up the roots from the tree stumps with a spade. She didn't even have to help with cleaning the house or preparing meals. She worried to herself if whatever was happening to her body was some sort of disease, or if when a girl becomes a woman, as her stepmother had said, her birthday was now on the day she began to bleed. This, naturally, led her to wonder if there was, after all, a blue dress in her future. As the afternoon sun broke through the cloud cover and slid between the gaps in the house's western wall, stepmother emerged through the front door with a bundle held tight in her hands. Annika noted a strange air around stepmother. She had always been more than a little distant. She and Annika's father had met pretty soon after Annika's mother had passed on. She was a stern and practical woman, not outwardly resentful of Annika. She didn't beat or torment her, but she was not what you might call warm. There was always a distance, a coldness, like there was some embarrassing secret she was afraid Annika would discover should they get too close. But now, here, alone with her in the house as her father went off to the woods to chop down trees, stepmother seemed different. She was warmer, almost apologetic. Stepmother crouched down in front of Annika and placed the bundle in her hands, then clasped her own hands around Annika's. Use these to contain the blood. You can stuff them in your bloomers, and they'll stop your dresses from getting stained. Oh, said Annika. Will I have to use them every day? No, said Stepmother. Just until the bleeding stops in a few days. Then you can clean the rags in a bowl and keep them until next time. Just be sure to throw the soiled water on stones so they don't get into the soil. Bad for crops. Next time, said Annika, looking down at her hands and her stepmother's. Oh, yes, Annika. Every cycle of the moon, you will spot again. It's good, Annika. It means you're becoming a woman. It means that you'll be able to marry and have children soon. Isn't that nice? Annika didn't know how to respond to this. There's, there's something else, said Stepmother. Something you should, you should know before it happens. 
Annika looked up as stepmother let go of her hands and rose to her feet. What is it? Stepmother couldn't seem to look at Annika any longer, and held her hands to her chin. You know, said Annika's stepmother, perhaps it's best if your father explains, and walked briskly out of the doorway into the front yard. Annika looked down at the rags in her hands and imagined a blue dress with snowflake crochet. As the sun went low, Annika's father returned from the forest with bundles of wood on his back. Annika watched him approach the front of the house through a crack in the wall of her room and shifted uncomfortably on the floor, still getting used to the rags in her bloomers. Father approached the door, where stepmother stopped him and they whispered to each other in hissing, angry tones. Annika got up from the floor and pushed open the door to the main room of the house. Her father hushed his wife and looked at Annika up and down with a sad, desperate smile under his mustache. My young woman. Father. Father crossed the room and wrapped his big arms around his daughter. He squeezed Annika and kissed the crown of her head, letting her frizzy blonde hair tickle his cheeks. We have something to discuss, Angel. Annika craned her neck to look up at her father, but he couldn't bear to look back at her. He let her go and pulled her to a table where he sat her down on a stool and knelt at her feet, placing her hands in his own like stepmother had that afternoon. Annika, said father. When stepmother and I were married, we discovered something terrible. You see, stepmother is barren. Do you know what that means? Annika nodded and looked up at stepmother, who was staring off into a corner, chewing on her nails. We didn't know what to do, but we knew that there was someone who could help us. You see, deep in the woods... Far beyond where I dare venture for firewood, there's a tall house, surrounded by a white gate. And in the house, there's a woman. And this woman is very old, very wise. Annika's shoulders tensed around her ears, and her eyes became wide and frightened. You mean, you mean Baba Yaga, father? Father paused, thinking of what to say next, then spoke. I know that children tell stories about her. Annika interrupted. She has iron teeth and wooden legs. She flies on a mortar and eats the bones of children. Stepmother held her hand over her mouth and whimpered, and father squeezed Annika's shoulders to calm her. She is an old woman. That's all, Annika. But she knows things. Knows how to do things nobody else can do. She can make things, make things happen. Annika's cheeks burned as tears began to pool under her eyes. She knew what father and stepmother had done before father had even said it. Baba Yaga promised to make your stepmother fertile in exchange for the help of a young woman. Do you understand? Annika's voice cracked as she sobbed and shouted, You, you sold me to a witch, Papa. How could you? Do you want to replace me? Do I remind you too much of Mama? Papa's eyes welled with tears, and he clutched Annika's chin with his thumb and forefinger. Listen to me, Angel. Listen to me. You will live with Baba Yaga for one month. Just one month. That's all. You'll cook and clean for her. You will learn to be a good and dutiful wife, and when the month is over, you'll be rewarded. Baba Yaga always repays hard work. 
And if you do this thing, if you are a brave young lady, Baba will bless your stepmother and I, and we will have a healthy baby. So you see? Just a month. Don't you see? Annika wailed into her hands, her shoulders quivering as she slumped out of her stool and onto her knees. The night passed in silence. No one ate. No one slept. They waited, listening to the woods just outside the village, listening to the howl of wolves and the melancholy whisper of the northern wind. The sun of the morning slipped between the heavy gray clouds over the village as Annika stepped out into the front yard. She tipped her feet and hopped off the stoop of the home she had always known and into the muck of her front yard. She missed the grass that she imagined once grew there, though none ever did. Her blue eyes trailed along the ground and up the front walk to lift and behold the stoic trees looming over the thick morning mist beyond the village. She had never left the village. Her father made sure of it. He emerged from the doorway with his finest black coat, and Annika didn't notice him until he wrapped a thick blue shawl over her frail shoulders, gently pulling her hair out from under it and laying it just so down her back, doting on her. They walked out past the waist-high stone wall that bordered the village. The local abbot was standing near the path that led to the woods, watching with a stern expression, clutching the book in his hands with knobbly white knuckles. Father nodded politely to him, but when the abbot said, Lord bless and keep you both. Father did not respond. The forest is a living thing. Each tree is a nerve, rising out of black earth and fighting with its brothers for the sparse light of the sun. Its roots tangle the floor like a knot of serpents, wrapping around each other, slithering greedily to find the water of each dewy morning. Crawling things hide in every dark place, Every secret life, kept by burrow, hollow, and flat, mossy stone. Annika walked ahead of her father along a path carved by carpenters dragging trees to the village. She could smell the memory of cracked branches and trampled leaves. She craned her neck upwards to see the trees who watched their fallen numbers slaughtered for hearth and home. At the end of the trail, father placed his hand on Annika's shoulders to stop her. She turned and looked up at him, but he was too ashamed to meet her eyes peering instead into the thick wood ahead of them. Just a little further. Straight ahead. They made their way through the woods, stepping carefully between the knots and snares that tangled and snatched at their feet. They listened to the faint birdsong that bounced off the trunks of the taller trees, and to the faint rustle of bush as some creature or another hid from their clamorous march. Annika approached an arch formed by two trees who had begun a few feet apart and then entangled their branches as they grew. The air in this place was tangy, as if something had died here recently. It was a sickness that hung in the air all around, unabated by the gentle woodland breeze of the morning wind. Annika turned to her father, who stared knowingly at the arch, and pressed his hand on Annika's back, urging her forward. Don't worry, he said. We're almost there. Annika stepped through the arch of trees, and came to a small clearing in the forest. The ground was covered in small white stone so that nothing could grow here. Out there in the tree line on the other side of the clearing, something was stirring in the trees. It came closer and closer, shaking the treetops as it sauntered past them. Annika's breathing quickened. She could see the shape of the thing as it approached in the morning mist, 
a blur of constant motion up in the tree line among the foliage. A long, slender leg, twice as tall as Annika's father, stretched out from the tree line, and then another. They were pale, clawed legs, like a bird's, with glimmering spurs on their heels. Annika's eyes followed up to see, perched upon the legs, a small shack with a thatched roof, like in the olden days. It was rotating right-wise slowly, like the second hand on a clock in the village church. Annika's lip trembled as she stepped back until her head fell into her father's stomach. He held her and whispered that he loved her. The shack stopped in the middle of the field, and father, pulling Annika along by the hand, stepped forward. Annika trembled and whimpered, pressing her face into her father's coat. He straightened his shoulders and looked up at the rotating shack, then spoke. Little house, little house, put your back to the forest and your front to me. With a loud moan of creaking wood, the shack's spinning came to a stop, and its tall legs bent, as if the wood that composed it still lived, a short stairway unfolded like a tongue, planting itself in the white stones. The front door of the shack creaked open, and the sickly sour smell that permeated this place wafted out warmly across Annika's wet cheeks. From the dark interior of the shack emerged an arm, and at the end of it, a hand with long hairy fingers and huge gray knuckles. The hand gripped the doorway, and Baba Yaga emerged. She was much taller than Annika's father. Her white hair fell around her shoulders in thick, knotted locks. Her brow was like deep-set white leather, and Annika couldn't make out her eyes in the shadow cast by thick white eyebrows that jutted in all directions. Her nose glimmered in the breaking daylight, and Annika noticed that it was made of iron. She shuffled into the daylight on long, thin legs, just like her house, white and thin, jutting out from under black rags. She sauntered down the stoop and towered over Annika and her father, even with her hunched back. "'Good morning to you, Baba,' said father. "'This... this is my daughter, Annika.' He looked down, finally at Annika, and met her pleading eyes. She's going to help. Help you around the house with chores and exchange. I know why you brought me the girl, Russian. Her voice was like wood, straining to break under a winter wind. Annika shivered and wiped her nose, looking up at her new host. Well met, young one, said Baba. Annika retreated further into her father who sucked his teeth and urged her forward. Don't be rude, Annika. Say hello. Baba laughed and waved her bear claw hand. No matter, woodcutter. Give her to me. Father pushed Annika's hand out for Baba to take, and Annika began to sob, biting down on her bottom lip and squeezing her eyes shut. Baba's hands were soft and warm. It gave Annika pause as Baba gently drew her close. Annika caught only a glimpse of Baba's sharp iron teeth as she whispered in her ear, Give me the rag, child. Annika blinked and wiped her eyes with her free hand. The... The rag, little one. Give me the rag in your bloomers. Annika looked at her father, then up at Baba. Do as she says, said father. Annika blushed as she squatted down like a frog and reached under her dress, shuffling her hand about and emerging with the rag her stepmother gave her. It had a damp spot of blood in the center and smelled of copper and sweat. Annika handed the cloth to Baba, 
who took it in her long, thick fingers and curled her hands around it as if it were a delicate treasure or an injured bird. Baba reached into her raggedy cloak and pulled from it a bundle of twigs, dust, and leaves, pinched between her thumb and forefinger. She sprinkled this concoction onto the stained rag and then wrapped the whole mess up and tied it closed with a strand of her thick hair that she had plucked from her head. She placed the bundle at Father's feet. Put it under your bed, woodsman, and try for a baby. It will come. Baba then turned to Annika, who was wiping the tears from her cheeks with her sleeve. Come along, little Russian. Annika looked over her shoulder at her father as Baba led her up the steps and across the stoop, into the dark house with the legs of a bird. Her father picked up the rag bundle, tucked it into his coat, and turned without saying goodbye. The shack was dark, illuminated only by a small window, where the light strobed across the room over and over in a circle. Despite this, Annika could not sense the spinning of the house. She pondered this as Baba lumbered across the main room on her spindly legs and made her way to a stool, where she bent to sit and consider Annika, whose fear seemed to have washed away and given to curiosity. You will cook. You will clean. Annika's head shot around to look at Baba, and she nodded her head rapidly, folding her hands in her lap and carefully sitting on her heels on the floor of the shack. After some time, there was a thud, and the house shifted one way, and then the other, and then was level again. The front door creaked open, and the light of midday flooded the shack. Baba got up from her stool, grabbing a broom perched against the wall by the door, and stepping outside. Annika stood and followed Baba out. Where she was, she couldn't say. In every direction around the house was a forest so dense it appeared to be in perpetual darkness below a thick canopy of branches. The clearing the house occupied was small, with just enough space for the shack and a fence that surrounded it like a pen. Annika followed Baba to the fence's gate, keeping her head bowed and her eyes to her feet. You will stay here, said Baba. Annika looked up and saw that Baba had closed the gate between them. Behind Baba was a tall stone bowl, bigger than her entirety. Baba latched the gate, and that's when Annika noticed that the entire fence was made of bone, and its latch was the jaw of a man. She clutched her hands to her chest and stepped back. Baba grunted and waved the broom in her hand at the shack. Cook. Clean. Baba turned and sauntered to the bowl, folding her legs into it and perching herself atop. The bowl lurched forward, lifting off the ground and ascending above the trees with Baba astride. Baba began waving the broom behind her, and the bowl glided swiftly forward until she had disappeared behind the trees. Annika briefly considered escaping, but the woods were imposing, and there was no indication of which way was home. The sky was gray, and it seemed as if at any moment it could rain. Besides, Annika thought, if she were to run away now, what would come of her father? What awful thing would stepmother give birth to? Not that she cared, of course. The baby could come out a squealing shout. Annika went back inside the cabin and cried on the floor for a little while. And when she had heaved her last sob, she picked herself up, wiped her face with her sleeve, and began to look around for a feather duster. Baba Yaga's home was filthy. Black stains caked the walls. There was dust on everything. Spiderwebs hung in bunches between the banisters, and the kitchen had not been used for what looked like years. But there was nevertheless a mountain of soiled wooden dishes stacked on the counter. Annika took off her shawl 
and began picking up the leaves, twigs, and insect carcasses that piled along the baseboards. She thought of the broom that Baba took with her, and how useful it would be right now. As she picked up the detritus with her fingers, she eventually came to an overturned wooden cup. When she lifted it, she shrieked as a mouse scurried back away from its hiding spot beneath the cup. Annika jumped backwards and bit her fist, watching the mouse scurry between the mess and toward a small hole in the floor near the kitchen. Annika clung to her chest and caught her breath, then rose to her feet and kept on cleaning. She used the torn rags that hung over every piece of furniture to wipe the walls down. She picked up everything she found on the ground and placed it on a shelf or in a jar or in a basket, but she daren't throw anything out. Who knows what wilting clover would turn out to be Baba Yaga's most treasured possession. She was dutiful and thorough in her cleaning until she came to the kitchen. She wiped the sweat from her brow, thinking of how she was going to manage cleaning all of these soiled dishes, let alone cook a meal. She started, but did not scream, when she saw the same little mouse emerge from under a bowl on the counter. There's a well outside. Clean water. Annika's eyes bulged, but she didn't mention how strange it was to be talking to a mouse, so as not to be impolite. Go fill the bucket, said the mouse, as more mice emerged from the crevices and hiding places among the clutter. You seem nice. Nicer than the last one. We'll clean. You cook. Baba Yaga will be happy. What... What happened to the last girl who was here? Asked Annika. She chased us off with a rolling pin. And when Baba Yaga returned to the house, and it was not clean, she... She... She what? Urged Annika. She was... Eaten. Eaten? Yes, little Russian. I saw the whole thing. Baba Yaga walked to the front door, saw her home in disorder and grabbed the girl. She broke her bones and ripped her flesh while she screamed until she was dead. And Baba Yaga ate the remains and fell asleep as if nothing had happened. Oh. But she was a mean girl. She got what she deserved. Go. Fetch clean water. We'll make sure you don't meet that fate, little Russian. Annika did as she was asked. She found the well tucked behind the house where its bent legs rested behind it and filled a bucket to the top with the clearest water she had ever seen. She brought the bucket inside and began to soak and scrub the dishes, while mice climbed the rafters and folded the cobwebs into tight balls and discarded them. Annika found a cooking pot beneath the dwindling mountain of dishes and set to filling it with herbs, potatoes, garlic, cloves, and onions. She filled the pot with water and set it in the hearth, lighting a small fire beneath it and helping her new companions by putting the dishes on the high shelves where they couldn't reach. As the sun turned red and descended under the trees outside, the smell of mold and dust was replaced by warm, savory scents, like crackling wood and hot stew. As Baba Yaga approached the front gate of her home, the mice all scrambled to hide, though hiding places had grown scarce thanks to all their hard work. Baba Yaga pushed the front door open, and the room seemed to grow suddenly cold. The fire dwindled to embers under the pot, and Annika was frightened by Baba, as if she was meeting her for the first time. Smells good, said Baba as she sauntered in craning her neck to look around. Everything was in its place. Nothing was thrown away carelessly. She scratched the white hairs that grew from the tip of her sagging chin and clicked her iron teeth against each other ponderously. Very good. Baba squatted down on her stool. The long black rag she was clothed in drooped down so their tips touched the clean wooden floor of the cabin. Annika nervously ladled soup into a clean bowl and brought it to the old woman, who clutched it in her enormous hands and brought it to her lips. You are a good cook, and a good housekeeper. Baba set the bowl on the floor between her feet and rose, 
towering over Annika and gently moving her aside to reach a tall wooden trunk with bright silver trim and a golden lock. Annika wondered how it was she had not noticed this object for the whole day she had cleaned. Baba loomed over it, and it opened for her. Annika watched all this from the far corner, where that Baba may try to throw her into the chest and seal the lock, or pull from it a venomous serpent to chase her around the room. Baba turned to Annika, and draped over her arms were brightly colored silk dresses, each fine and clean, with lace trim and intricate crochet patterns along all the skirts. Baba laid them on the floor in front of Annika, and grinned her iron grin. Annika stared down at the dresses with her mouth hanging open. She bent to her knees and ran her fingertips over the soft, light fabric. And this, said Baba, handing Annika a stack of folded cotton sheets. Annika took the sheets and looked up at Baba, who nodded solemnly and turned in a heaving waddle, making for the door and stepping out into the night. Annika watched her descend from the stoop and jolted as bone torches on the white fence burst into flames. Annika clutched the cotton sheets to her breast when she saw three figures out beyond the bone gates, impossibly tall, cloaked in shadow. The door slammed shut, and Annika sat in the dying light of the hearth, unfolding one of the cotton sheets and tucking it in her bloomers. Wake up! For God's sake, wake up! Annika's eyes fluttered open. The sun had not yet risen, and before her, barely visible, past the tip of her nose, was the mouse who had helped her with her chores. Annika blinked and rose to sit, rubbing her eyes. I'm up, little mouse. I'm up. You must listen, before Baba Yaga returns. I'm listening, little mouse. I'm listening. The mouse stood atop the pile of fine dresses on its hind legs, its nose twitched as it whispered excitedly. Baba Yaga will break your bones and eat your flesh if you do not clean her cabin. But we did clean her cabin, little mouse. We did. Look, hissed the mouse. Anna craned her head, squinting to see that the cabin was as it was when she first entered it. Dishes stacked on top of one another, the detritus of nature strewn all over, and thick, dusty cobwebs hanging like rain clouds from the rafters. Annika startled to her feet and yelped. But, but how? Never mind the how hissed the mouse. We must hop too, before Baba returns. Annika stomped out the front door and made for the well, pulling water in the bucket and charging back inside, where the mouse and his family were already picking up the leaves and dragonfly wings and setting them in jars and baskets. This routine went on for weeks. Annika would clean the house with the help of the mice and have just enough time to cook for Baba Yaga, who would arrive at dusk, impressed by the state of the house, eat then give Annika another bundle of fine dresses. Annika would watch her leave to meet the three strange figures in the shadows, then sleep and awaken to the cabin, cluttered and covered in dust again. Annika had amassed many beautiful dresses, but she never wore them. She would fold each one neatly, pressing out any wrinkles diligently with her hands, and add them to a stack in the corner where she slept each night. As Baba Yaga ate the stew each night, Annika became bold and began to ask her questions. How old are you? Where do you come from? Where do you go every day and night? At first, Baba would ignore these questions, or grumble unintelligibly. But after a few days of persistence and diligence in her chores, Baba would relent, 
speaking under her breath, almost a whisper. I am as old as the woods, as old as memory. My tongue has tasted darknesses that are not even whispered of. My name is lost to the rotted lips of the dead men whose fathers feared me more than they. I come from the earth which men are buried under. My heritage is tangled root and sour wind. My history is bargains made with lesser beings. My ancestors are shadows. My children are nightmares. I go where time waits. My teeth bite the tails of devils. I wait for my servants, the dawn, the evening, and the twilight. Each rides these woods. Each knows his place, because it is my order he lives by. Annika couldn't make sense of anything Baba said, and after some time, she could not figure out how to phrase a question to where a clear answer must be given, and she relented. As the days went by, Annika became familiar with the things that she cleaned. There was a blue rag, which the mouse told her was a river. There was a comb, made from the tooth of a whale, which the mice said would grow to be a wild and tangled forest of trees, should it ever be thrown to the ground. There was a mirror, which the mice said could transport the bearer to any place on earth they so desired. None of this made any sense to Annika. These trinkets were all junk. But she had learned very quickly that good sense was not what the world was made of. It was what one used to survive it. She counted the days by scratching marks on the heel of her boot, and dreamed each night of her father's warm, calloused hands. One morning, as Annika was awoken by the mouse to begin her day, she was surprised to see a robin perched atop her pile of dresses, watching her intently. You are the girl that lives with Baba Yaga! Annika rubbed her eyes and stumbled to her feet, stretching her arms. I would think that would be obvious. I have been to your village. I've seen your father and his wife. Annika blinked. Oh? Your father's wife is with child. I can smell it on her when I perch by the windows. Annika tensed and leaned forward, whispering. Can you? Can you show me the way home? Can you help me escape? Your father's mother does not want you to come home, little Russian. Annika's eyes became glassy. What? She whispered. Your father's mother says the child that will grow from her will be her only burden. She tells your father that you have been eaten by Baba Yaga. She tells him that he should forget you and prepare for the coming of his only child. The bird's eyes glimmered in the morning light as the sun rose and its blades sliced through the dusty air between the gaps in the thatching of the roof. Annika's shoulders quaked as her face twisted. She bit her bottom lip and lunged at the bird, which fluttered off as she collapsed in her stack of beautiful dresses. You're lying! You're lying! The robin landed on the hearth and chirped. What do I care if you believe me? That I should come all this way to tell a fib? Heh! <laughs> Humans. The robin fluttered off through a hole in the roof, leaving Annika in a pile of wrinkled dresses stained in tears. Annika laid still the whole day. The mice did their best to clean up, but very little could be done. As the sky turned red and the shadows grew along the dusty floor of the cabin, Annika pushed the matted hair from her rosy face and got to her feet. She had prepared no food, 
cleaned nothing, and Baba Yaga would soon return. What are you going to do? squeaked the little mouse, as his brothers and sisters retreated into the floorboards. Baba Yaga will be back soon. If she finds this place like this, she'll break your bones. If she has no supper, she'll eat you. I don't care, said Anna, curling down so her nose rested upon her knees. She can eat me then. You mustn't despair, little Russian, said the mouse, tugging at the edge of her old dress. If you let Baba Yaga eat you, you'll never know if that rotten bird was telling the truth. Annika wiped her cheeks and looked down at the mouse, who stood on his hind legs and wiggled his nose at her. She slid a finger along his head, pushing down his white fur and letting the faintest memory of a smile slip at the edges of her mouth. Just then, the wind picked up and shivered the thatch roof. Annika could hear the howling gale brush through the trees, and in its chorus, she could hear Baba Yaga screeching down the night as she approached. Annika sprang to her feet and trembled in fear. She looked around in a panic and then grabbed at the unkept pile of dresses, burying herself among them until she couldn't be seen, and planting her hand over her mouth to steady her breathing and be silent. The door burst open, and the wind shifted all the dust in the dark cabin. Baba's legs made loud, thumping stomps as she lumbered through the doorway and growled. Baba sniffed the air with her iron nose and grinded her iron teeth. Her breathing was deep and furious like a bear's. Annika was perfectly still. She daren't move as Baba stalked through the cabin. I can smell you, little Russian. I can smell your blood. Annika choked down a whimper and watched through a wrinkle as Baba hunched down, her hair scraping the dust on the floor. Her legs creaked as she bent, slowly angling towards the pile of dresses, sniffing and growling, when suddenly she froze. There was a rustling in the far corner of the cabin, and Baba turned towards it quickly, gritting her teeth and stomping towards the noise. Annika took the opportunity to slip out from the pile of dresses. She watched Baba from behind. Her great hunched back made it almost to the rafters, catching cobwebs as she lumbered forward. Annika saw the whale-tooth comb and the blue rag on the hearth near the door. She knew right that moment that the mice had left them there for her. She crept back, towards the exit, stepping backwards, careful not to step on any of the floorboards that she knew creaked. <sighs> said Baba Yaga, reaching down at her feet. There you are. I've been looking for you. Annika's eyes bulged as Baba Yaga raised her hand. She saw, dangling between Baba's thumb and forefinger by its tail, the mouse. It squeaked and struggled as Baba held it up, craning her neck and folding her hand underneath it to grasp the creature in her fingers. Where is the Russian little mouse? The mouse was silent. Baba curled her lips back, and with her slick iron teeth, bit down on the mouse, decapitating it. Annika screamed, and Baba Yaga whipped around, her chin slick with blood. Annika spun and ran down the stoop towards the gate. Baba howled, and the door of the cabin slammed shut. The earth shuddered, and as Annika climbed over the bone fence, she glanced back to see the house rising to its feet and spinning. Annika sprinted through the woods with the comb and rag in her hands. She could feel the ground shake with each step of the cabin as it gave chase. Her lungs burned as she stumbled between the roots and branches all bathed in the red light of the evening. Eventually, completely exhausted, Annika stopped running and turned to see how far back the cabin was. Its stomping felt more distant, but quickly approaching. She could see that the trees were shifting and swaying with each thud of its feet. She threw the rag on the forest floor, and from under it, 
Clear, clean water began to gush in all directions. She stumbled back as the earth beneath her feet began to sink, and in an instant was filled with fresh water. She could see fish and frogs emerge from the earth as the house approached the opposite shore across what was now a wide, ranging river. The house stopped, standing with its feet ankle-deep in the river, its body spinning slowly. Annika caught her breath, just as the house's spinning slowed. She knew what was coming, and she turned to run, jogging as quickly as her spent legs could manage. The moment the house had stopped spinning, Baba Yaga burst from it, not even waiting for the house to kneel. She hurled herself through the air and was caught by the flying stone bowl. Her screech kicked up a terrible wind, and Annika's hair whipped in every direction as trees cracked and moaned under the pressure of the gale. Annika kept running until she came to the edge of a clearing. She could just barely make out Baba's bowl circling above like a vulture. She ducked down under the fattest root she could find, and waited. As the night went on, Baba Yaga did not relent or retreat. Annika watched as she continued to circle above, growling and spitting curses. Just as the sun met the horizon, Annika heard the sound of a horse approaching the clearing. She tucked herself deeper into her hiding spot and watched as a knight clad in red armor and carrying a lance whose pike burned with flame trotted across the clearing. He circled many times, watching the edge of the forest with a stern look about him. As the sun finally disappeared behind the horizon, so did he, fading out of the sight of Annika's hiding spot and not returning. As the darkness enveloped the woods, the owls began to chant their liturgy for the mice they would kill that night. Annika thought of quitting her hide and making her way across the clearing, but just as she lifted her head, she heard the footfall of a horse and ducked back down. This time, she saw a knight clad in black, carrying an axe, which dripped with some black muck. She squatted down under the root and peered through the darkness at the Black Knight's armor, glistening in the faint light of the moon. Annika's body began to relax despite her insistence that she stay awake, and if she fell asleep, she did not remember the doing so. It seemed to her as if she had closed her eyes to rest them for a second, and when they lifted, the sun was creeping over the horizon on the other side of the clearing, from whence it had fallen just moments ago. She could see out in the clearing now a knight in white armor, holding a sword which gleamed with impossible radiance. He held his sword above his head, and a glaring beacon of light reflected from its blade and scanned the tree line. She froze perfectly still, and watched this beam of light flit over the trees until it came to where she was. The knight tilted his wrists, and the light glanced over the root that Annika was hiding under. She clutched herself to stop from shaking, daring not to look up as the light froze on her hide. There was a moment of complete silence, where even the birds kept their peace. And then, Annika could no longer hold her breath, and the instant she gasped for air, the white knight's horse reared and whinnied, and Baba Yaga's shriek pierced the air. Annika bolted backwards as the horse gave chase. She looked up as Baba's bull swooped down along the tree line, and with a whisk of her broom, the branches snapped and their leaves died, exposing Annika. Baba snarled and descended further, thrusting her hands forward as her knight gave chase behind. The bull weaved among the branches of the trees, descending closer and closer. Baba's claws spread like a hawk to a rabbit over Annika's head. Annika screamed, and at the last moment threw the whalebone comb behind her. She didn't stop when the earth began to rumble violently. She didn't look behind her shoulder when she heard Baba Yaga's screech, 
and the white knight's horse bray? She kept on running as immense trees crashed through the forest floor and entangled everything behind her in wood and green. Eventually, Annika came to the shore of the river. The house was on the other side, standing still, its body spinning slowly. Annika caught her breath and thought for a while as the sun crept over the tree line, making the water of the river sparkle. She unbuttoned her dress and slid it off. She climbed out of her boots and her bloomers and paused when she saw a fresh red stain on the seat of her underwear. She smiled as she looked down at the blood and began to giggle. Annika stepped into the cold water of the river and swam across. The dirt on her body and the dust in her hair made clouds in the river, which swirled behind her until she reached the opposite shore and stood naked before Baba Yaga's home. Little house, little house, put your back to the forest and your front to me. Annika stepped inside. She found the beheaded corpse of the mouse and cradled it in her hands, pressing it to her chest and letting the blood stain her newly clean skin. She dug at the earth near the river with her fingers, clumping dirt under her nails, and placed the mouse in a shallow grave, whispering a prayer she heard her father recite at her mother's funeral. She peeled away at the fine dresses strewn about the cabin floor, one by one, until she came to a shimmering blue dress with white trim and a ring of snowflake crochet around the waist. She slipped it on and was entranced by the alien sensation of silk against her skin. When she was dressed, she found Baba Yaga's trunk with the silver trim and the golden lock. She tugged once on the lock and it clacked open, and inside the trunk was the mirror. Annika looked out at the impenetrable wall of trees across the river, the barrier which perhaps would never be crossed, a barrier of endless, bountiful, unnatural life, a barrier to evil and memory and time. She looked at the mirror and did not think of the village or her stepmother or her father. Annika looked at herself and thought of something else. The end. There are hundreds of Baba Yaga stories. She has been a pervasive figure in Russian and Slavic folklore for millennia. Her stories range from bedtime allegory, children's parable, horror, fantasy, historical drama, even myth. Because so much of her canon has been passed down through oral storytelling traditions, her identity remains subject to the teller of the tale. Sometimes she's a sweet old woman. Sometimes she's a horrific monster. Sometimes she's something of a demonic figure who offers bargains with a Faustian result. While there are traditions upheld within her iconography, the walking house, the old crone, the flying bull, what she represents is always up to the one telling the story. Baba Yaga's ever-morphing nature is part of her staying power. She can represent an allegory for patriarchal housekeeping standards, scaring young Russian women into being obedient housewives. She can also be radically feminist, a crone who exists outside of the purview of men's power over societal beauty and behavioral standards. Baba Yaga is as familiar as she is unknowable, a nebulous entity representing something constant yet ever-shifting. Monster. God. Family. Woman. Though we live in an age of canonization, where the cultural artifacts of our shared history are recorded for future generations to carry on in exacting detail, Baba Yaga's presence in those traditions remains stubbornly nebulous and resistant to being contained within a set of specific stories or ideas. 
She is whatever is required of her, and more than any one storyteller could possibly convey. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash breakfastwithgilgamesh. And if you'd like to read fiction by your humble host and author, accompanied by the incredible work of talented artists, you can find it at zkleverton.com. A special thanks to Sam Beck, who designed my beautiful logo, Thomas Holden, who composed the wonderful music you heard throughout, and to all the friends and partners who made this project possible with their time and insight. I'd specifically like to thank Christian Engeseth, Anna Ivaskovich, Adam Golikov, Sid Dermay, and Sarah Wilk for their help with this episode specifically. Next episode, The Loose Canon of the God of Abraham. Join us then for more Breakfast with Gilgamesh.